done. Learning a new song. It's good. It's good. It's, it's fun to learn new ways to express these uh, great truths that we believe about God. Welcome. Um, hear these words from Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. This is our text for the morning. It says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we thank you for an opportunity to be here together, to worship you, to sing to you, to pray to you, and now, Lord, to look into your word. And we ask now, God, that you would help us as we read and study and think together from this passage. We pray you would open our eyes and our ears to see and to hear what is true. We need your help, Holy Spirit, to make sense of your word and to understand these truths. So, God, would you guide us? Would you fill this place with your presence and help us, Lord? Again, we're so grateful for all that you've given us. and We give you this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, go ahead and join me in the book of Philippians. Chapter 2 is going to be our uh, spot for the morning, starting in verse 5, as you saw. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. We're going to have the words up on the screen. The book of Philippians is found in the New Testament. It's one of the letters written uh, by the Apostle Paul. And we studied it in its entirety, if you remember, uh, if you were here, a little over a year ago now, last spring. We walked through the entire book, so we're revisiting one of these sections uh, to explore this rhythm of giving that we're talking about this morning. We're continuing that series for the summer where we're looking at one rhythm or habit or spiritual discipline that we should have in our lives as believers in order to stay healthy, in order to grow, to be connected to the Lord, to be fruitful. And again, this morning we're looking at the rhythm of giving, which again, when I say that word, it automatically makes some of us uncomfortable. A couple people stood up and walked out in first service right away. Just kidding. I didn't, didn't actually happen. Uh, but it makes us a little uncomfortable talking about money. But don't worry. the rhythm of giving that we're exploring today is about more than just money. We'll see. Uh, the concept of generosity or being willing to give of ourselves covers the area of finances, but also giving our time and our, our effort and our energy away for the good of other people and the purposes of of God. So to explore this, we could go a number of routes. We could uh, talk about how the Bible tells us to be generous. The Bible commands us to give. And so we could start there and say, hey, well, the Bible says it, so we should do it. So just go and do it. And that's true, but we're not really going to focus there. That's not going to be the main approach that we take. Uh, we could start by talking about how giving is an issue of stewardship, right, that God has entrusted you with certain resources, time, money, energy, other things, and those things are not to be used just for yourself or for your own good, but God wants you to use them for, again, His purposes and the good of other people, and those things are true, but again, we're not going to really uh, camp there and go that direction either. I want us to take a bit of a different approach as we think about 
giving. And this comes from a conviction that uh, we all know is true, I think if we think about it, that we tend to imitate those that we look up to. When we see someone that we look up to modeling or living a certain way, we have a tendency to repeat that and want to move in those same patterns. I'm learning this afresh with our one-year-old daughter. You're a parent, you know, when you watch little kids grow, they're, they're watching you all the time and they're picking up on things that you do and they start to do them as well. And that can be a good thing if you're modeling good things for them, but it also can be a dangerous thing if you're not quite modeling the best things. And they pick up on that, don't they? Sometimes I'll find Zoe and she'll like pick up a napkin or like a paper towel or something on the ground and she'll just start like cleaning stuff with it. And that's a good habit that I hope that she continues. You know, she doesn't know what she's doing, but she just sees uh, Amber and I cleaning the countertop or the wall or whatever it might be, and she'll just start wiping stuff down. She's just mimicking what she sees. Or sometimes if, you, if you've hear me, uh, heard me blow my nose before, it's kind of loud and obnoxious. Darren's saying, yes, that's true. Uh, so sometimes my daughter will, again, she'll like grab a tissue or even just like a toy or something and just go rah, into it. Just make noise. She doesn't know what she's doing. But she's like, this is, this is what my dad does. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that too. And I think that's a principle that is true in all of our lives. We're all kind of wired that way to mimic what we see modeled. And so think about that as we talk about generosity then. I want us to look at the Lord, to look at our Father, to look at the Son, Jesus Christ, and see His heart, to see what what God does. To see that God is really the ultimate giver. And so if we want to live lives of generosity, we want to look to him first, because he's modeled for us what that looks like, and that will change how we approach it. And so Philippians chapter 2, we're going to use it as our guide to explore this. I already read it, but let's look again at verse 5, how it starts. It says, this is again Paul writing to the church, says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I want you to follow the example, the model that Jesus has set for you. And then he jumps into this uh, famous passage from the New Testament that, that unpacks who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And it continues in verse 6. Who, again, this Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Verse 6, some of the, the highest, clearest language about the deity of Christ in the entire New Testament, it tells us he was in very nature God. This Jesus was in the morphe of God. That's actually the Greek word. He was in the form and and the essence of God. He looked like God. He was treated like God. He was God, equal with God the Father and the Holy Spirit in every way. This is one of the key central, non-negotiable doctrines of Scripture and of Christianity, something that Christians have held to since the very earliest days of following Jesus, that he was not just a mere man, he was actually God himself. He eternally existed with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to see this in the text. Again, I'm not making this up. This isn't just a 
creative theological musing here. This is coming right from the text. Jesus was in very nature God. Not created by God. Going to become God at some point in his life, as some might teach. And here we find no modern notion that Jesus was just a, a good guy or a great teacher with some nice things to say about love and caring for your neighbor and so on. No, Scripture is clear that Jesus was God himself. He always was. He continues to be worthy of worship. But you notice in this passage, it's not just telling us something about who Jesus is. It tells us about what Jesus has done. We see the very heart of God, what our God is like in these short few verses. It says what Jesus did not consider his status as God something to be used to his own advantage. More literally, the Greek again reads there, he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped. Not in the sense of he couldn't grasp that concept or understand, but grasped as in his status as God was not something that he was clinging to or holding on to or with a closed fist protecting his privilege or his right to be safe and comfortable in heaven. He did not see his status as God something to cling to, something to grasp or guard. Rather, God is not a grasping God. He's a giving God with an open hand, right? It says in verse 7, rather than grasping or using this status as God for his own advantage, he did what? He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Made himself nothing. Your translation might read, he, he emptied himself. That's the idea the words used. He emptied himself. It's a metaphor. He poured himself out. He gave and gave away. Sometimes scholars or theologians will ask, well, this emptying, what exactly did he empty himself of? Did he empty himself of his deity and he was no longer God? No, that's not what it's saying. The idea is not to find a specific object that he removed or emptied himself of. Again, it's, it's a metaphor talking about the way he poured himself out, emptied himself, gave and gave and gave of himself for our good. Amen. Rather than looking to our interest, it's, or to his interest, he made himself nothing, emptied himself and became human. This is what we call the incarnation. Right? God incarnate. God in the flesh, walking among us. Jesus came. We sing about this already this morning. In Christ alone, who took on flesh. We sang that the first song this morning. Fullness of God in helpless babe. He stepped into our world. He took on flesh. So Jesus was fully God. He was also fully man. He came, the passage says, in, in human likeness. But he was not just any man. It's not just that he came. Again, notice how he came. What does it say? It says he came as a servant from very nature God to the very nature of a servant. He came not to be served, but to serve, right? And to give his life as a ransom for many, he told us. 
And this is not what we would naturally expect. The king of glory, the king of kings, from the highest heaven comes down to us, but not staying at the nicest hotels and not with servants waiting on him left and right. No, he came in obscurity. He came to serve, to give his life away. He was born in a manger to an unwed mother from Nowheresville, Nazareth. Have you seen the show Undercover Boss? Where the CEO or the president of the company goes, enters his company as kind of like a low level or, you know, middle of the road type of guy and kind of observes things. This is kind of like that, but like multiplied by infinity. You know, Jesus stepping down into our world. But the humiliation does not stop there. Not just that he came, not just that he came as a servant, but he served us to the point of death, verse 8 says. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. It's really hard for us to actually comprehend this level of humility, this level of condescension, right? From the highest high of heaven to the lowest low, dying on a cross, a mark of shame, a place reserved for criminals, a scandal that Jesus would die in that place. And so here in these short few verses, we have uh, so much Christology put forth, who Jesus is and what he came to do, and it shows us who our God is. Our God did not count equality with God something to be grasped or, or clung to, but he made himself nothing, humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross in his love for the world, right? He poured himself out for us. He took our place on the cross so that we could be forgiven and freed, restored to a right relationship with God, reconciled with God our Father. This is the gospel that we remember and celebrate. If you're here this morning and you haven't put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, hear this word. God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. You can respond to him today if you have not ever done so. And so to sum it up, one commentator wrote, what do we make of all this? Well, first, Jesus Christ has revealed the character of God himself. The epitome of God-likeness, not a grasping, selfish being, but God is one whose love for others found its ultimate expression in pouring himself out, emptying himself, giving of himself for us, taking on the role of a slave, humbling himself to the point of death on behalf of those he loved. So notice how different that is from our cultural perspective on greatness. Again, often we think that greatness is about power, influence. We are told that the greatest goal in life is to pursue our own happiness, right? Find what you love, go and do that. It's really about you, live for yourself. We live in a selfie culture. Take the selfie, it's not that selfies are all evil, but as you get the idea that we kind of have turned inward and we, we think that that's what it's about and that's where life is found, but Jesus actually shows us the exact opposite. No, greatness and actually what God is like, 
one who empties himself for the good of other people. And so as we talk about the rhythm of giving and what it should look like in our lives, we start here recognizing that because God has been so generous towards us, we then give as his followers. People claiming his name in the world ought to be generous as well because that's what our Father does. And that's what Jesus, our Lord, has done, right? The text says in verse 5, have the same mindset as Jesus. I want you to act and follow his steps. He emptied himself for us, and so you empty yourself for the good of other people. But notice in this, we don't just see Jesus as an example. He's not just an example. It's like, he was nice to people, so you should be nice to people. No, we, we see Jesus as our Savior, right? We remember the gospel, and we look to these verses, and we see what Jesus has done for us, how he has loved us. It's not just that he's kind to other people, and so I should be kind to other people. He has loved us, loved me, rescued me. And when we remember the gospel, when we remember that truth, it changes us changes our hearts because we have received the grace and the love of God that softens our hard hearts and then his life and his spirit is in us and it transforms us and it allows us to live a new life. And so I'm not just putting law on you saying, hey, go do what Jesus did. I'm saying, no, remember the gospel. Here's what Jesus has done for you. And in response to that, we live this, this grateful new life of, of following Jesus. We give because that's what God does. And so there are a couple areas that this uh, should apply in our lives. And the first is the area of, of finances and our money. It's one of those really clear indicators that we have of something we can give away and bless other people with. It, it helps us see, are we giving? Are we being generous? I know, again, it makes some of us uncomfortable. Just Realize the Bible has a lot to say about what we do with our money. There's a lot to say. We're not going to survey all of it here, but I know some of us grew up in a church background. And so, and so for us, like giving is just what you've always done. It's what your parents did. You learned it from an early age. You give back to God. It's just part of what you do and what your family does. Uh, but for some of us, it maybe is newer. Maybe we haven't uh, studied what the Bible has to say about it very much, or we have never learned really exactly what giving should look like in the local church. And so I want to kind of explore that a little bit briefly with you. Uh, first, we look to the Old Testament, and we realize the concept of, of tithing is kind of, kind of a good place to start, to look at how it was done throughout the centuries as the people of God. There was this command, this expectation that the people of God would bring their tithes and offerings to God as an act of worship, from the first fruits of what they got. So the principle was the, the first and the best of what they had, 10% and often more, would be given back to God as an act of worship. Again, often it would be more than just 10%. But it was a way to recognize that, God, all of this that I have comes from you. So I'm going to first worship you and give some of it back to you, recognizing that fact. It was also an act of trust. Right? Trusting that God will provide for me so I don't have to have a, a closed fist around my finances. I can give freely and give back to God first, trusting that He's going to take care of me. 
And just think about what that regular pattern of giving would, would do to people. It would help them break the cycle of, of greed and selfishness. It would help them weekly or monthly in worship recognize that, no, what I have belongs to God. What I have is not mine. What I have, I'm going to give away. It, it shapes us and conditions us and prepares us to be generous people with that regular act of giving back to God. Now, as you go to the New Testament, you don't see the command to tithe uh, in the same way you did in the Old Testament, that 10%. You don't really see that repeated in the New Testament. That doesn't mean that we don't give anymore now that we're part of the New Testament church. We still give, but it's going to look a little bit different. In the New Testament, you see the concept of giving generously, giving sacrificially. And yes, it was still regular. There was still regular giving that people did. It was a decision they made. It was still proportional to income based on what people could do, but the emphasis was on developing a heart of generosity. That's the focus. And so it might look different for different people. For some of us, 10% to give honestly would be probably not enough. We could be more generous. We could be more sacrificial than just the 10% margin. But for some of us, uh, 10% would actually be kind of challenging and difficult. And so we need to work out before the Lord, all right, God, what would it look like for me to be a generous, sacrificial giver with what you have entrusted to me? And giving should be regular, should be proportional, and it should be done in a, in a prayerful way before the Lord. But see, if we're not giving anything, it, it should call into question in our hearts, are we really trusting God with our well-being? Are we really trusting God to take care of us? If we say, no, all of this is mine, and I'm not going to open it up, Lord, back to you. So our money tells us a lot. You notice as well in the New Testament that, that giving is often done for a purpose. The reason it's given is to not only honor God and trust God and worship God, but, but further the advancement of the gospel, to further the work of ministry of the church in a certain area and globally. And that's why we encourage people, if this is your church home, there's an expectation that you would be giving back to the Lord to further the work of ministry in this city. Your giving, your generosity allows the work of ministry to continue here, allows our staff to do what we do, allows us to support our missionaries that we send money to that are doing work globally, allows us to run our programs and different outreaches and keep the lights on. I mean, those things are, are, are possible because of your generosity and your giving to further the work of kingdom ministry. Now, you should know that because of your generosity, the church is, is doing really well financially. Giving this year has been above, well above what uh, we expected. And so I'm really encouraged by that. And so I want you to know this isn't coming from a place of like, I'm worried, like, we're not going to be able to keep the lights on, or I'm not going to get a paycheck. And so, oh, we should do this summer rhythm series, and we should make one of those giving, and that'll really like move people to give more because we really are, are struggling. That's, no, that's not where this is coming from. Church is doing well financially. You have been giving so generously. This is not coming from a place of, ah, stressed, better get on it. It's just really honestly looking at, will this rhythm, is this rhythm there in our lives to keep us healthy? And really for, for your good, for, for my good, not the, the institution of the church, really for us to be healthy and worshiping God. That's where this 
is coming from. So this generosity that we're talking about includes our finances and giving, but it is a bigger conversation than just that. A life of generosity, as we saw from Philippians 2, right, includes are we willing to give of ourselves in a, in a variety of ways for the good of other people? Back when I was in high school, a mentor asked me, he said, what do you think is the most valuable resource you have to give? What would you say is the most valuable resource you have? At first, I was like, I don't know. Then I thought about it a little bit, and I said, well, I guess probably money. You know, you can do a lot with money. He was like, you can always make more money. People can always, money comes from a lot of different places. It's not the most valuable thing you have. I was like, okay, a resource. Maybe it's a possession, right? It's a a car that I own or a phone. Those are pretty expensive things. He's like, no, you can buy a new car. You can buy a new phone. It's not those things. I was like, well, then what is it? It's your time. It's like you're never going to get more time. It's limited. You only have so much of it. When we think about giving, are we willing to give the most valuable resource we have, our time, to other people? Give our time away to God for his purposes? I think for some of us, if we're honest, it's a little easier, maybe a little safer just to write the check, whatever it might be. A little harder when we give our, our time to a cause, our time to uh, ministry. We have to ask ourselves, are we, are we serving? Are we giving of ourselves to bless other people? I think about just this church and, and what it takes uh, for the ministry of the church to take place. Both on a Sunday morning, you think about those who are, are here early, preparing the music and the sound and the tech aspect of things, who are, are loving our students and teaching our kids, those who are making coffee and greeting and welcoming people in. There's so many things that go into making a Sunday morning happen that people are giving their time and coming early and, and missing out on a little bit of sleep or whatever it is you would do on a Sunday morning, an extra cup of coffee. I don't know. You get here, though, and they, they serve and make things happen. But the same is true not just a Sunday morning, but throughout the week we have people serving, running ministry, serving at the Christian Help Center that goes on tonight. Or some of you serve at the Red Awning Cafe, right, our, our middle school breakfast program where we try and bless the school across the street. A lot of you volunteer to make that happen. That's giving your time out of your week to come and do that. I think of those that lead our small groups. It takes time to, to host a small group and have people in your home. It takes time to prepare a, a small group study so that people uh, read the Bible and, and are, are blessed by that. It takes Time. And so, so the question is, are, are we serving? Are we people that are giving of ourselves our time serving? And if, if you're not and you want to know more about ways to serve here, on that card, there's some options there, opportunities. Hey, I'd like to know more about this ministry. I'd like to more, yeah, know more how I could help out in this way. I'd encourage you to check that box and, and toss that card after the sermon in the offering plate. Are we giving our time serving? Are we giving our time to people as well? Sometimes people around us are hurting, Right? They need our time, they need some attention, they need someone to listen to them, someone just to show up, let them know that they're cared for. That takes time, time out of your week, out of your day. Sometimes people are, are lonely and need someone to welcome them in. If you have someone over for dinner in your home, it takes time to invite them, it takes time to plan out the meal, to make the meal, to clean up. It, you have to sacrifice an evening 
by yourself or an evening that you would have had with your family in order to, to spend time with other people, that is a, a gift that's giving something away for the good of other people. I want you to know, it can be hard for me to do this. You're like, we know. No, it, really, it, it can be challenging. An example is sometimes our church will do like a meal train where we'll set up meals where we give, uh, you know, if someone just had a baby or a hard thing happened in their life, a couple people from the church will take a different night of the week and, and deliver a meal to a family and just kind of bless them. And, and when we, we've done that a couple times, and um, when Amber and I do it, my first thought is like, I don't really want to do this. Like, can we, can we just, like, do something quick and easy? It, it takes too much time to cook and clean up, and let's just, you know, just go buy something, send it over there, just make it really easy. Not that there's anything wrong with, with purchasing food out or, like, buying from a restaurant. That's not the point. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, what was going on in my heart was, like, I just want this to be easy. I don't want to go out of my way to bless this person. Can we just do it the simple way and go buy a deli sandwich or something, take it over to them? I don't know. And Amber, like, no, Matt, no, we're not just going to do it that way. She's like, don't you see that this is an opportunity to serve these people, to love this family, and yeah, it's going to take some work on your part, but that's the point. It's going to take time to, to, to cook, and, and so we would, we would do it and cook them you know, a nice healthy meal or whatever and think through it and give it to them, and afterwards, I'm just like kind of grumpy, and the kitchen's a mess, and lost hours of my day, and I'm just kind of selfish, and, and Amber's like, don't you see, this is... This is the point, that yeah, it, it took something out of you. That, that's what serving is. That's what being willing to give and bless other people requires. And I'm like, you're right. That's usually how it goes. Um, but really, I need to grow in this area. I think as a church overall, honestly, to think about us and what I've seen in the year and a half here that we've been here, I think this is a strength of ours. I think FBC is a really generous church you guys over, not only in the giving that we talked about earlier and the finances, but just how you rally around people, how you show up when people are in need, how you love people, how you serve. I've, I've seen it. So honestly, really impressed by it, really encouraged that that's a mark of our church because I think that's what God is like. So I love when I see our church people live that out. But it doesn't mean that we don't have areas to grow. We can continue to walk in those ways. And, and maybe you're here this morning and you just really haven't haven't been a part of that culture of generosity. You, know, you haven't as much participated either in, in giving or in, in serving. And so I encourage you, if that's you, I encourage you to jump in. I think it's a blessing to serve, to be used by God, to bless other people. Join the fun. It might mean changing some priorities. It might mean changing some of the, the things you buy or the things that you do. It might mean some adjustment. But God might be calling you to greater generosity. Why? Because he has so blessed you. He has so loved you. And that's what God does. He calls us to, to live that way as well. And so I encourage you to think about, what do I have? Lord, what have you blessed me with? It wasn't intended to stop with me. But how do you want to bless other people through me, through this time that you've given me, through this money that you've given me, through these possessions that you've given me. Don't you love just hearing stories of generosity? Just 
entertain people, just give away cars to other people, write big checks to people that are in need. Some people, you know, buy meals for people at restaurants or do the whole pay it forward thing. You ever been in like a drive through line and like there's a line of pay for the person behind me and it just keeps going? We, we love stories like that, right? We love seeing that. We know that generosity is, is good and we want to be people like that. I encourage you to think about what is something you have that you can give away. Maybe it's Again, the warmth of your home. You can welcome someone in for a meal who is lonely. You can show hospitality. And, and notice that it's going gonna, it's gonna to look different for different people. I learned that this week. I went to the dentist this week. Hated every minute. Hated every minute. But while I was there, I remembered there are people that I know, people in this church who love going to the dentist. Like, not just tolerate it. They love going to the dentist. People that we know. I know. And I was like, we need to pray for these people. Something wrong. Seriously, I hate it. But it reminded me, right? There are some things that you hate that other people love doing. And there are things that that you love doing that other people hate doing. And so think about, Lord, how have you wired me? What opportunities have you given me? How do you want me to be generous with what I have? It's not going to necessarily look the same as... Joe or Carl or Sue or who, whoever else. Think about, Lord, what would you have me do with what you've given me? Now, yes, there are boundaries to draw, right? We can't say yes to everything. When we say yes to something, we say no to a lot of other things. So we can't just be saying yes all the time. We're going to get burnout. out. But think, okay, Lord, what would you have me do? Can't do it all, but how would you have me serve and give away what I have, whatever that might be, for the good of other people. And again, the backpack drive is a great opportunity to do this. Love that we're doing the backpack drive. It's an opportunity to go. Worship, connect, grow, go. This means telling the gospel with our words, proclaiming the work of Christ and calling people to trust in him. But this go also means loving our neighbors, blessing our community, doing things that cost us money and time and effort, these backpacks, but are blessing these families. That's what God does. Love that we're doing that. And so I just encourage you to think about what would it look like if we as a church continued to live this out in our city, if we were known as a church that was generous, that just radically gave away what we had for the good of other people. Wouldn't that be a powerful testimony? More than just telling people, hey, God loves you. Hey, Jesus died for you. That is true, and we should do that, but also we love you. And so here's a way we're going to practically show you that we care about you. It's going to cost us something, but it's worth doing. And that's what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word that challenges us, it convicts us, and it encourages us. Jesus, we we see in your word what you have done for us. Thank you. Thank you for not using your place as God as, as something to be used to your own advantage clinging to that, grasping to that. Instead, you poured yourself out for us and even died on a cross in our place. Thank you. God, would you transform our hearts to be like yours, to give and be generous in your name. Thank you.